Pastor, Pastor Steve, you are muted, please. Oh, wow. Amen. Well, you listen to the recording, you will hear the excerpt. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, I've not started preaching. I was, I was just saying, I hope you are doing well. Are we really ready for the cold? It's cold, amen. Okay, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us, will bless us, will transform us, will help us walk in the liberation of truth this morning. And uh, may this word set our week and our course in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Go with me to John chapter 19, verse 1 to 5. We took a two-week hiatus uh, the last Sunday of the month, the la or the last Sunday of the year. I ministered on something different, and last week we were tremendously blessed by our guest speaker and Pastor Yoku Yosun. Amen. That was powerful. So today we are back. All right, I just remembered this, all right? Stick a pen there and go with me to Genesis chapter 26, verse 26 to 29. All right, I'll come back to what I'm preaching. This is a bit non-related or I'll say related, but go with me to Genesis chapter 26, verse 26 to 29. I want to read this. Yesterday, as I was having my quiet time, I felt an impression to also read this to you. Amen. And 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 the Lord impressed upon me strongly that this is a prophetic word for this church. Amen. So Genesis chapter 26, verse 26 to 29. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerah. So the background of this story is Isaac, who is a Jew. He was living or sojourning in a foreign land. And he was in a place called Gera, where the king is called Abimelech. And if you look at the whole background of the story, Isaac and the people of Gera were not on good terms. Because the Bible lets us know that wherever Isaac dug a well, he experienced water in a time of famine. And then the Philistines will come for the well until they came to a place where he had peace. But for him to have peace, he had to severe ties from the Philistines. But now, look at what has happened. In, in, in the midst of great hostility and every chance lost of reconciliation and restoration of relationships, look at what happened. The Bible lets us know that the king, you know, Abimelech is a title. It's not really a name. It's just like we say, the president. Right? It's not your name. It's the title. So uh, the Abimelech came with Ahuzaf, one of his friends, and Fikol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm 
since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. But now, we know you are the blessed of the Lord. Amen. So the word that the Lord gave to me for this church is that maybe some of you have had broken relationships. The Lord is saying that this year will be the year of restored relationships. Amen. It will be the year of restored relationships. People who may have turned their back on you, people that may have given you so much pain and so much hatred, they will turn back and they will say truly, you are blessed. You are blessed, O Lord. We see that the Lord's hand is upon you. Can we make peace? Let's make peace. And when, when, when God touches people's hearts like that and they come to that realization, please, let's not harden our hearts. Don't be disobedient to the prophetic word. Certain relationships that have been lost, that you may even have totally forgot about it. Get ready. In this year, 2024, there is going to be a mending of certain relationships. The restoration of certain relationships will come again. And let us be mindful of the times in which we are in because the prophetic word of the Lord has been given. And when it comes, let's not harden our heart. But let us remember that, hey, God spoke and I was in church and I heard this prophetic word. And if the person has come for us to make peace, let us make peace. Amen. So I, this was something that the Lord said to me very, very strongly. I've, I've felt an impression. I was encouraged. And I said I was going to share this with the church before I started to preach. I, I almost forgot, but I really thank God that I did remember this. Amen. So now back to our reading for today's sermon. Go with me now to John chapter 19, verse 1 to 5. Father, we thank you for your prophetic word that you've given to us. Like Paul, may we also say that we were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We were not disobedient to the prophetic voice. Thank you, O oh Lord, that relationships that are lost are being restored and reconciled. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 1 to 5. The book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is our 85th installment. So then Pilate took Jesus and sketched him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to him, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Let's just stop at four. I think four is okay. Amen. So, based on our reading for today, I am ministering under the sub-theme, Triumphant triumphants. Amen. I believe we all know what's the meaning of uh, 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 triumphant. It comes from the word triumph. It means to be victorious, to experience an upper hand, a win, 
And, and I pray that as we look at today's story, which is very grim and, and, and graphic, maybe, uh, maybe depending on what you call graphic, uh, may we see some uh, triumphs and some wins and some victories yet in this story. Amen. So um, before I go into the story, I want us to look at some keywords from our text, which will form um, the bane of our sermon uh, today. The first one is sketched. When you look at verse one, you see the word sketched. Uh, verse two, another word is there, a crown of thorns, a crown of thorns. Verse 3, another word is there. Struck him with their hands. Struck him with their hands. And then in verses 2 and 5, a phrase is there that is repeated. Purple robe. Purple robe. Amen. So, when we looked at this story, if you do remember... We finished chapter 18, and the last verses of chapter 18, Jesus was still in the praetorium. That's the um, official residence of the governor. Pilate was a governor. And, you know, Pilate was like, this man is not guilty. I don't see anything wrong with him. I don't think he has transgressed any of the laws. Let me release him. And during the Passover, it, it was always custom for them to release at least one prisoner during the Passover because you know they believe that during the Passover we should not have too much bloodshed and all that sort of thing and it's so funny that they rather decided to kill an innocent man on Passover you know the Jewish people do not like to associate crucifixion and all that during that celebration but when it came to the time to release somebody and especially people who are normally granted clemency or who experience what the Bible will call jubilee are people who may have been convicted wrongly. So Jesus' case was not really peculiar. But um, during that time, when they asked, the, uh, when, when um, Pilate decided to put Jesus to the, to the free, and that's to the people that, I want him to be free because he's done nothing wrong. The Bible lets us know that these same people say, we want Barabbas. And Barabbas was a wicked man. Barabbas was a murderer. We, we want Barabbas, who is even a danger to society. We want him and then keep this man and kill him. Society is very wary of people who, who, who tend to be a danger to society. I do remember maybe, was it last year or maybe last two years, probably last year, when the female basketball was exchanged for somebody else. You know, it, it had mixed reaction. Even though Americans were happy that, oh yeah, finally, you know, this WNBA player has been released from um, harsh Russia sentences and everything. Other commentators too were not happy because they were looking at the exchange. They thought that it was not a fair exchange. Why? Because 
the, 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 the person that the Russian government demanded in exchange for the prisoner was a very dangerous person. And nobody likes people who are a danger to society to disturb the peace. So it really lets you know that these Jewish people, they were very evil. For someone who is a murderer, someone who has a proven track record as that, if you want him in exchange for an innocent person, it shows the sort of person you have. Because naturally, in a, in a civilized society, naturally in a place where democracy is, is practiced to its fullest strength, you wouldn't want anybody who poses a, a, a risk to be um, in the midst of society because he could disturb the peace. That was it. So in chapter 19 now, since the people wanted Jesus to be crucified, they wanted him to be killed, Pilate had nothing else than to obey. And the Bible lets us know that he went through scourging. Now, what was the purpose of scourging? The purpose of scourging was to weaken the victim so that he would die more quickly on the cross because uh, crucifixion was one of the most painful ways of dying. Because it was a slow death. You could die from asphyxiation. That means, you know, not breathing well because they were so wicked. I mean, when they, they nail your wrists. You know, when you watch the Jesus' movies, they normally nail palms. They don't nail palms. They nail the wrists. So you are being held on a, on a crucifix or on a wooden tree. You know, the cross is a tree. They just cut the tree and then they just hang you on it. So you have nails on your wrists. You have nails in your ankles, not on your foot, on your ankles. And then you are just hanging there. So it's only uh, um, four nails that will be hanging on you. And the wrist, you know, the tendons of the wrist is very weak. So when you are on the cross, you have to sort of support your body weight because your wrist could easily be torn apart by the nails. And then you also have to make sure that you position your, your feet. How are you even going to do that? Because the nails are in your ankles, not even on your foot, on, on your ankles. And you have to use your whole body weights to support yourself while you are being hanged upon. You have no ropes. You just have nails. It's a very painful way to die. It's a very slow and a painful way. And sometimes one of the quickest ways to aid the process of death was scourging. I'm talking about scourging. That was very different. It was a very graphic thing. I mean, I don't know if any of you have watched The Passion of Christ. You know, that was even something minute. The, the, the director and the producer of the movie, at least they did well to capture a minute episode of what Jesus really went through. And the scourging, they use leather threads with sharp pieces of bone, metals, and stones at the end. So... When the soldier uses this on your back, it rips your back, and your, your, your back is reduced to raw flesh. In fact, when you read Psalm 129, verse 3, 
I like the easy translation. David prophesied, it's, it's a messianic prophecy. David prophesied of Christ that they hit my back with whips. They made long marks on it like farmers who are plowing their fields. Have you seen a farmer who is plowing a field? They do that with a lot of strength. So these people, they were very brutal and very evil in how they flogged Jesus. And there was a triumph there for our game. Our game. Because the Bible lets us know in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that all those lashes, those lacerations on his back was for our healing. By his stripes, we are healed. In fact, during the Bible times, it was said that there were 39 disease categories. And Jesus was whipped 39 times. Because during those times when you were sentenced, it was 39, not 40. So it's possible that every lash, every stripe was for one disease category. In the Bible, the Bible lets us know there are 39 disease categories. Well, if you look at modern science, modern science has reduced it to 17 disease categories. So whether it's 17 disease categories, 39 disease categories in the Bible, what we know is that by his stripes, we are healed. It includes COVID. It includes RSV. It includes the flu. It includes whatever mystery illness that they keep talking about, you know, you know, which seems to be on the rise. Whatever be the case, know that by his stripes, we were healed. Even though it was a very grim and a very dark picture, it was a triumphant episode for the body of Christ because Whilst Christ was suffering, whilst Christ had lacerations, while his back almost looked like raw hamburger meat, it was for our healing so that we will not have to be sick. And this to me shows how much God loves us and how much he is prepared to pay just for the salvation of our sins. The second thing that we see there was the crown of thorns. Jesus wore a crown of torture made of thorns. And the thorns will cut, pierce, and will bloody your head. It was very painful. You know, for you to understand um, the sentence of Jesus, I always advise, try and read all the accounts. You find it in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and in Luke 21, 22, read all those accounts. And then at least it helps you to get the fuller picture of the extent of suffering Jesus had to go through because of us. You know, kings wear crowns. But these people mocked Jesus and they put a crown of thorns, which was torturous. It wasn't fun. It bleeded. It was painful. Blood oozed out. 
And we thank God for thorns that were made as crowns upon Jesus. Because the very first mention of thorns is in Genesis 3.18. You know, when you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it gives you the cover story of God creating the earth in six days, including man. One of the things you don't see in the creation story are thorns. There were no thorns. There was grass, there was vegetation, there was the firmament, the earth, water bodies, everything in splendor and in majestic beauty. One of the things that you will not find there pre-sin, pre-Adam's fall, were thorns. The only time the manifestation of thorns came was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, when God was cursing the earth. He said that out of the earth shall grow thorns. And the manifestation of thorns showed that we were under a curse. The manifestation of thorns showed that thorns could only be on this earth because of the sin of Adam. It was a symbol of the curse. And Jesus wearing a crown of thorns symbolized him carrying every curse as a result of sin. So it was a triumphant moment for us. It was a bloody moment, a very bruising moment, a very cutting moment for the Savior. But it was a triumphant time for us. Because when you read Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, the Bible lets us know that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he redeem us from the curse of the law? He took every curse that came as a result of sin and it was placed on his head. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. And what is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is justification by faith. He had to wear this crown, which was torturous, because he thought of our justification. And it is because of justification that you and I have been declared righteous. Jesus exchanged our curse for his blessing. And that is why he had to go through the pain that he went through. Because there was a divine exchange that was taking place. Don't see yourself as cursed. I don't care what family you may have come from. You may believe you are jinxed. You may believe you have an omen. You may believe you have a spell. You may believe that um, a series of misfortunes have come your way because of generational and ancestral curses. Don't insult the death of Christ. He paid such a heavy, bloody, and bruised price for you to walk free of every curse in the name of Jesus. You are free from the curse of the law and you are free from every generational ancestral curse in the name of Jesus. Whatever that may have plagued your family will not plague you because you have received 
an exchange of the curse, which is the blessing of Abraham. And you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. And when God has declared you righteous, he has also declared you from the wrath of God to come. And if God has declared you from the wrath of God to come, you are the apple of his eye. You are in the year of jubilee. Rejoice. Don't see yourself as cursed. Disabuse your mind from curse. In this year of having the mind of Christ, have a renewed thinking on curse. Have a renewed thinking on curse and curses. You are not cursed. You are the blessed of the Lord. The blessing of Abraham rests upon you because Christ carried your curse. It was a moment of triumph for the church. Jesus wore the crown of thorns, which symbolized he has taken every curse that came as a result of sin. The Bible lets us know they struck him with their hands and they beat him to gratify cruelty. It shows how sadistic and twisted and wicked these evil soldiers were. You know, history shows that Jesus should not have even survived the whipping post because he was in a pool of blood. Historians are still surprised how was Jesus able to even carry a cross from the praetorium right up to Gogota. Because going to Gogota was not a plane. It was mountainous. How was he able to go through a mountainous terrain carrying a cross whilst he was bleeding and he had so much blood oozing out of him? He should have died. The miracle of Jesus was, why didn't he die at the whipping post? That's the miracle of Jesus. Because he should have died. Historians said that part of his flesh was hanging because of the graphic detail of how whipped and how beaten he was. Yet on top of all that, they still struck him with their hands. They had a lot of hatred. But that had to happen because of Isaiah 53 verse 5. The Bible lets us know that it was because of our transgressions and our iniquity. That is why he was wounded and bruised. You see, the creator had to humble himself and be humiliated and be struck by people he created. Before Abraham, he was. He is part of the coexistence of the Trinity. But he was humiliated. Why? Because of our transgressions. Because of our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Striking him with their hands may have satisfied the sadistic tendency of the Roman soldier. But for us as the church, 
it was for our peace. For us as the church, it was the remittance of our transgression and our iniquity. For us as the church, it was the reconciliation of God the Father to his children. For us, it was God's heart has been endeared towards us because the sin penalty has been dealt with. It was a moment of triumph for us. They struck him with their hands, but victory. We thank God that Christ came, allowed himself to go through such humiliation so that you and I can walk acquitted, we can walk free, we can walk not guilty, and know that you have peace with God. Why? Because there is a reconciliation between God the Father and the world. No wonder Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God is reconciling the world through his son Christ. How did he reconcile the world? He reconciled the world by allowing his son to go through such inhumane torture and evil brutality. It was for our peace. It was for our reconciliation. It was for the cancellation of our transgressions. It was for the remittance of our iniquity. That is why we can say we are redeemed, we are redeemed. That's why we can say we are free. You see, you have to understand this to know God's love for you. That's why this year, the past 14 days, I've just been singing around song. Oh God, I am so glad I was so wrong about you. You see, when you understand the price that God's son in Christ had to pay, you, 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 you confess that God, I'm so glad I was so wrong about you. I'm so glad I was so wrong about you. Not just that, they put on him a purple robe. And a purple robe was a royal color designated for kings. One of the things you had to know about a purple robe was it was um, the, 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 the dye, the purple dye that you need as a color for a fabric was the most expensive. That's the history behind why it was like very exclusive. It's not like a common color. But these people, they just wanted to humiliate Christ and, and mock at the Jews. You see, it wasn't just humiliating Christ, but they also wanted to mock at the Jews. You know, there was prophecy that a Messiah was going to come in the form of a king. And the Romans were not happy about it. Because a Messiah coming the average Roman knew about Moses' exploits. Moses came, delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, and they sojourned in the wilderness for 40 years. So they had a place of their own called their own land. A Roman who wasn't even privy to the commandments of the law knew the story knew that Israelites are the apple of God's eye. So when they heard the prophecy that a Messiah, a Savior is going to come, 
Romans did not feel too good because they felt that if a king should come, it could be the end of their reign. The Israelites, on the other hand, too, were very hopeful that we are going to experience a Moses part two, who will come and wrest us out of the power of the Roman Empire. But that was not why Jesus was called a king. He didn't come to set up a kingdom. So when the Romans put the purple robe on Jesus, they were sort of humiliating him. And mocking at the Jews, like, look at how mighty your king is. He's the one we, we've spat on. He's the one that we've struck with our hands. You know, to strike someone with your hand or to slap someone, is, it's like the highest form of disrespect. I know it's a king. We can easily slap him. We can slap him. He's nothing. That, that's how mighty your king is, in quotes. How mighty. They were humiliating him. But Jesus had to go through all this ridicule, all this public shame, so that you and I will not have to experience shame again as a result of sin. God loves us. Now, when you read verse 4, the Bible lets us know that Herod presented Jesus to the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, the Passover brought two nations together. It brought the Jews, it brought the Gentiles. And he said, this is a man I find no fault in. And like I keep on saying, this is symbolic of Jesus being the sinless sacrificial lamp for the sins of the world. For a sacrifice to be accepted, it has to be without spot. It has to be without blemish. It has to be without speckle. And for Pilate to open his mouth and say, this is the man I find no fault in. Here's him. Behold him. It's symbolic of Jesus being the sinless sacrificial lamp of God for the sins of the world. And when you read Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1 to 11, you will see the prophetic picture of redemption, where Jesus is portrayed as the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the scapegoats. All these are very important terms. What's the sin offering for? The sin offering was having a lamp and then sacrificing it for the sins of the people. It atones for the sin for a year. So that's yearly sacrifices. The burnt offering, you know, when you look at the nature of the offering, it's only this offering that you have to burn the whole animal. With, with all other sacrifices, there are a lot of picky descriptions and directives there. You can't burn fat. You can't burn this. You have to take this out. You have to take that out. You have to take that out. But with the burnt offering, you burn the whole. That's why it's called the burnt offering. You burn everything. It's wholeness. Christ had to go holy, be baptized holy into his death for it to work. He had to be in the sin offering and then the scapegoats. The scapegoats, you needed the scapegoats because 
the priest will normally put his hand on the skateboard and say all the sins and then we'll release it and it goes into the wilderness. And it's a picture of all our sins have left the camp. Therefore, now we can sacrifice. Because you can't sacrifice in the presence of sin. And what happened is that they always have two rams, and then they will cast lots. So when the who the lot falls on the goat, that's the one that becomes the scapegoat. Then the other, the other lamb will be used for a sin offering. So when they are coming to have a sin offering, it's always between two rams. We have to cast lots. And if you read the story of Jesus, we will go into it. The Bible lets us know at the foot of the cross, they cast lots. Jesus became our scapegoat. He had to carry all the sin of this world and die in a spiritual wilderness. That is why he screamed, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It felt like he was in a wilderness because he was the scapegoat. So Jesus became our sin offering. He became the bent offering. He became the scapegoat. And, and for him to be that, he had to be spotless. He had to be without sin. Jesus sacrificed so much so that the body of Christ, which is the church, will experience triumph. We have experienced triumph. Never forget about that. Jesus had to be sketched so that we will receive healing. I don't care the theological discourse and, you know, medical science that will want to disprove and rubbish healing. Healing is still real. The Bible lets us know, First Peter, it's there, 2.24. By his stripes, we are healed. He bore in his body our sins. Just this morning, Mr. David was asking me a question. To receive healing and the forgiveness of sins, which is easier. And Jesus on earth answered that question. Forgiveness of sins is easier. Way easy. That's why when he looked at the, the, the crippled man, he says, I will show you I have power. I have power to forgive you of your sins. Take up your bed and walk. Healing is easy. To Jesus... Healing is easier than forgiveness of sins. Let me reword my thoughts well. In the eyes of Jesus, healing is easier than forgiveness of sins. I hope you get me. When Jesus looks at forgiveness of sins and healing, Jesus, Jesus weighs forgiveness of sins than healing. Therefore, it is easier for Jesus to heal than to forgive sins. So if Jesus has even done the weight here, which is the forgiveness of sins, what is healing, which is the children's bread? It's children's bread because it's accessible. It's not adult meat. So when it's adult meat, that means children are prohibited. Healing is children's bread. Anything that is children is accessible. Healing is easily accessible. Look, if we believe that we have received the forgiveness of sin, then what is lesser in God's economy like healing? We should have no problem believing in it. 
Jesus was sketched for our healing. He was sketched so that we will be healed. He was struck with the hands and the palms of the Roman soldiers so that our transgressions and our iniquities can be taken away. We are forgiven and we have experienced the peace of God as a result of him reconciling with us. We don't have a problem with that. Jesus had to endure shame so that you and I will not go through that shame and that timidity of condemnation that the devil will want to put on us as a result of sin. Jesus wore the crown of thorns so that you and I can live a curse-free life. Listen, you are not cursed. You are not under a curse. This year, have the mind of Christ. And for you to have the mind of Christ, disabuse your mind of curses. Have a renewed and a revelative understanding on curses and blessing, for that matter. The curse has been exchanged for the blessing of Abraham, which is we have been justified by faith. We thank God that Christ became our sin offering. Our sins are paid for. He became the bent offering because he laid down his body as a living sacrifice. And we thank God that he became the scapegoat because he took away the sins of the world far away into the wilderness. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. Lord, we thank you that even in your graphic moments of doom, humiliation and shame, you still thought of us experiencing your triumph. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we love you more and more. Father, as we've heard this word, cause us to have a deep love for you, a deep longing to have fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.